Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. When I'm talking about being your own advocate, I think it's trusting your gut instinct. Even if a professional is maybe telling you something else, it's, it's asking questions. It's taking that extra effort. From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. On the show today, friend, colleague, fellow young adult cancer warrior, advocate, survivor, Rebecca Batterman. But let's not let that last label define her because she's oh so much more. Rebecca's an innovation consultant. What does that mean? Well, stick around to find out, folks, but I can attest that she has one of the most acute minds. She makes you feel like the dumbest guy in the room sometimes, a good problem to have, and I've been inspired by her ever since we met. Never wanted to stop reinventing herself after her stints in branding, media, marketing. She has this crazy entrepreneurial spirit and an odd appreciation for 80s nostalgia as a non-Gen Xer. She's now, as of this taping, completing her Master of Laws degree in intellectual property and entertainment law. Slacker, slacker, I say. Rebecca is as authentic as it gets, and she could teach us a thing or two about how to roll with the punches. What's more, she's an advisor right here at Offscript Media, and I hope you'll be seeing more of her on the show as a recurring guest correspondent. Ladies and gentlemen, my conversation with Rebecca Batterman. So uh, I pushed the button. The button? People are going to hear what we're talking about now. They're listening. This is a non-agended show. Just to, to let people know, I, I've had heads of state. I've had chief scientists. I've had celebrities. I, I've had none of those people, actually. I've had just interesting people on the show, of which you are. Rebecca Batterman, an interesting person. Thank you. But this is one of those unagended shows where I think it would be really interesting just to talk and see if the listeners actually want more shows like this because you're a curious individual and I find you fascinating, which is why you are worthy of that chair. Oh, thank you. You know, the person before you in that chair was the head of neurosurgery at Lenox Hill. And we did kind of like, you know, we, we washed it down. Don't worry. It's clean. Lots of lye. We threw lots of lye on it. It was soaked in a pool of Purell. You're in good shape. See, I think you want me to respond. I'm not going to do it. You're just not going to give You're me baiting what You're baiting me. I'm yeah. not, not going to say anything about that. <laughs> well, I, you are here in studio. Uh, thank you for all the frontline workers who have done everything yes. to help. Yes. We are socially distanced. We are. In our studio here in downtown New York, in case people start hating us on Twitter, which that's the place to hate. If you're going to hate, hate on Twitter. 
Yeah. This has been your daily public service announcement. <laughs> Sponsored by Sponsored by Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Great minds. <laughs> no, I'm I'm this has been a long time coming and just for, so the listeners Rebecca and I met under the worst of circumstances, which is that we had friends in common, but she happened to get cancer. And I happened to be in the same place as her at the same time with us not knowing the other existed outside of you having heard my name through our mutual friend. And then you bum rush me and I didn't know why. And then you're like, I have cancer, help me out. So, <laughs> But tell everyone why. Tell everyone why why. You're assuming everyone who's listening knows why I would say help me with cancer. Because you had it. And because you knew so much about it and well, were so everyone, well connected. If okay, you're listening okay, to this okay. show. <laughs> by the way, hi everyone, I'm Matthew Zachary. I'm very Googleable and I had cancer at 20. Yeah, all that stuff. If you don't know who I am, I don't good luck. Congratulations. <laughs> Get to know who I am on this show. Exactly. But yeah, I, I was you know, not a lot of people get the chance to happen to know a random person who can help them when they're in crisis. And I was lucky I had an uncle who knew to tell me what to do. And my co-founder, Andrew, had knew me and I helped him with these ideas. Not everyone has like that greeter in the Welcome to Cancer store that you have to shop in now. I was privileged and humbled to be available to yeah. help in any way that I could. But you, you were in a, such a, I would say, an advantageous position Versus the stories that I've heard. I want to talk about that because I see that as progress. And one of the things that I love to talk about is when things go right. Because you fight for so long. Advocacy is to make things suck less for the next us. And in your situation, things sucked a whole lot less than they have done for other people that I've known in your situation. And it doesn't mean it didn't suck at all. It sucked plenty. But I, I one thing that my listeners know one of my – what grinds my gears the most is fertility preservation. In cancer, it doesn't matter when you're 70 or when you're four. But if you're in the age group where you would normally be wanting to consider family planning at some point in that 20, 25-year range, wouldn't it be nice if – when you were confronted with that you have cancer conversation, it's a, by the way, I noticed that you have ovaries that work. And by the way, what we're going to do to you to try to save your life might break your ovaries. <laughs> what a novel idea. But you had a wonderful opportunity to be told that. And what was that like for you? Because my question, and there always was one, you were 34. Is, was motherhood even on your mind, let alone were you prepared to be, what, freezing this to do what? I don't know where I'm going to be next week. What was that like for you? Well, so what's interesting is actually it was something that I had been thinking about because a lot of my friends living in New York and there are a lot of different startups and different doctors and who focus on this. And a lot of my friends were already freezing their eggs. Um, just as, you know, just, well, why not? Let's just do it's this. It's the trendy thing to it's do. It's the trendy thing to do. If you're 34 in New York, you probably thought about it. Um, and so I had already been thinking about it. And actually just a few months, like maybe six months before I went to have a consultation and was just kind of like starting to get information about what this process would be. So it was part of my plan. 
because I was already thinking about it and had inquired, like, what's the process? And so it actually worked out really well that it was the first step in my treatment plan was this thing I had been like, oh, well, I'll get around to it. So I got to cross that off my list. Yeah, I mean, because when you're told you have cancer, it's shock enough. I can't imagine the first thought in your mind was, I won't be a mom. No. Was it odd and revelatory to be told this? Um, well, I wasn't told that. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't mean they didn't say you won't be a mom. No, they but didn't say that. We <laughs> should get your eggs harvested. It was. Did you a, say, it was like, a what do you proactive. Mean? You know, I I hadn't thought about that piece of it because I think it all moved very quickly. I was diagnosed, and then the, the following one week later, exactly almost to the day, I was in an appointment and with my oncologist. Godspeed, good luck, amazing to that. But to many of the listeners that will be hearing this show, they're going to be like, if only that happened to me, but I'm so glad it's happening now more often. That's the point I want to drive home. You and what you went through in the place you were at with the doctors you happened to have gave you that option that millions of women over the last 30 years have not had. So this is a sign of potentially things to come as an improvement to what we call guaranteeing right to parenthood. Well, I I hope that's the case. I don't know because I have only had my interaction. I have a really amazing team that would say something like that and would think about that. And unfortunately, I don't think everyone has the same caliber team. And so, you know, that along with many other things through that I learned along my journey is further support that you have to advocate for yourself. And like, that's just something that, you know, I think we can't just rely on everything that's being told to us because sometimes things aren't being told. So like what happens if your doctor doesn't mention that or it's not part of the treatment plan and then you miss your opportunity? What do you do? So what does that mean to you, be your own advocate? Because you you have sort of, um, I'll say, a pre-embedded moxie, a chutzpah that is baked into your general being. Not everyone has that. So they don't have the wherewithal perhaps to question a doctor or ask the questions because they don't think to know to know what they have no idea about. For you, is it really as easy as telling someone to be your own advocate? Or where do you think there's a self-starter course and just be your own advocate 101 for anything, yeah. cancer, anything? That's that's actually a really good point. I mean, I, I don't say that lightly thinking everyone just picks up and goes and has the same experience that I have because I, I do think about things like that and I'm not afraid to push back and ask questions. Um, but I think maybe if the conversation gets wider and more people are told it's okay to be your own advocate, here are resources. And there's just a separate conversation around not just listen 100% to what you're told. I mean, I I don't know if you were planning on talking about this, but just in, in terms of my diagnosis, my professional doctor, not my oncology team, but there were steps along the way even to getting to the diagnosis that I was told it's not, this is not something to worry about and that I kind of pushed on it more and thank God I did. So you felt you were being dismissed at the beginning? No, not dismissed. It just wasn't, not that active. It's more, I wasn't being, I wasn't saying something and being dismissed. It was, it wasn't being dismissed. It was more, I wasn't being told. So Mm. I had had my annual check and I did a physical and they were both the same week because I was doing this really amazing week where I did 
all the health stuff. And I was like, yay me. All the health stuff. Yeah, I went to the dentist. I got my eyes checked. Like, I was on fire. And, <laughs> <laughs> but what you should know, because and you, you probably know this, and I'm sure everyone knows this, but when you go for your annuals and you go for your physical and you're a woman, they check your breasts. So I had two checks the same week. And neither one of them flagged that there was any sort of issue. Then when I then went back to one of the doctors and said, hey, what's going on with this? That doctor said, I'm not really worried about it, but if you want a mammogram and an MRI, I'll write your prescription. So there were like three different times I could have been like, hmm, okay, no big deal. But I wasn't. I actually was like, yes, let's was it take a that. lump? Was there something inflamed? Did it not feel no, no, right? No, I felt totally fine. There was just a little calcification thing that just seemed different that came and went, came and went different time of the month. It just was more pre more visible and then it wasn't. Right. Nothing super alarming. Could have easily just been like overlooked. I could have gone on with my life and not thought twice and not gone back to the doctor for a year. Well, you're not hypochondriacal. You're not neurotic. Like what inspired you to be more inquisitive in that moment? Just instinct or gut feeling or something? Yeah. Yeah. It was something that wasn't there. But then it went away and then it came back. And so it actually took me by the time of, from when I first realized it was there to when I went back to the doctor, it was about two months. And at that point, nothing was different, but it just it wasn't a top priority because, you know, I'm thinking I just went to two doctors, two really good doctors. Like, right. I'm not neurotic. So but it helps, you know, you go and you you have your checks and you take what they're saying that it's true. You know, I could have done that. I could have not gone back. And so I think that's what when I when I'm talking about being your own advocate, I think it's kind of it's trusting your gut instinct, even if a professional is maybe telling you something else. It's it's asking questions. It's taking that extra effort like, well, maybe I should just make the appointment and go back and just double check that this is fine. You know, it doesn't mean it has to be reactive and put in like countering what the professional is saying. It just kind of like listen to yourself and just don't be afraid to speak up. Back with our guest after the break. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery Starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery.
through the lens of the I'm not a customer of the cancer universe to now I am a customer of the cancer universe. The perceptions of what we've been fed, the St. Jude commercials, the pink ribbon commercials, the blah, blah, blah. And now you're on the other side of that. You come from branding, innovation, agency, creative services background, you know, as do I. I mean, I entered that career after I had cancer. So I had a different lens on what was being brought to the market. But this country has been fed with fear and bald kids and this and that and prevention and risk and, you know, blah, blah, blah. We become a hypochondriacal society by nature of just existing. What has been your, if any, kind of like triggerable aha moments about like, that's full of shit, that's full of shit, this is okay? Well, okay. So first I should say this. I don't know that any of it's full of shit because- I only know my own experience. And I think that a lot of the things that didn't resonate for me and with me help a lot of people. So I'm, I am not going to say that they're negative or that there's anything wrong with it. It's just for me, like you said, I wasn't part of the cancer world. I really wasn't part of it. Like I didn't like have that. I really, I had one family member and I was kind of not super connected to that experience when that happened. And so it was not something that was really ingrained in my lifestyle until it happened when then I was introduced to more people who were my age and female and diagnosed within a month of when I was. And it just became a bigger thing. So I think for a lot of people, depending on where you are and what your experience is, some of those things might help. So specifically, just to unpack your question a little bit, you're talking about the flyers and the commercials and the pink and the ribbons. And yeah, so it was super interesting for me to have breast cancer during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, because in the past, go Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Awesome. Love it. In fact, Sidebar, when I was in seventh grade, uh, Bath and Body Works was doing a partnership with a breast cancer organization, and they were selling a bracelet that had a little ribbon in support of breast cancer awareness. I don't know why. I didn't know anyone with breast cancer. I felt really compelled to support this, and I bought the bracelet, and I wore it for like two years. Weird. (laughs) (laughs) You're the one. Okay, great. (laughs) But anyway... So my point was, I was totally and fully in support of Breast Cancer Awareness Month and all the things that went along with it, like when you fly on certain airlines, they partner with a pink lemonade company. Right. And it's like, wait, what? Or the pink you're giving, M&Ms you're or the giving pink everyone this. sugar. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just there's there's this huge disconnect between awareness and actually what makes sense. But all that to say, I felt a huge disconnect. I was going through it and feeling feeling good. Like, I, I mean, I saw you during my treatment. Like, I, I felt pretty good. Like, I, I'm very grateful for my experience. But I'm going through treatment, actively through treatment, during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and I'm not even feeling a connection. I'm checking out at Dwayne Reed, and I'm like, look at this, like, trifold. Right. Uh, with this it, woman who... It doesn't speak to you. Well, doesn't mean anything to you. You know, the thing is, all of these people who are, who are going through treatment, who have cancer, any kind of cancer, 
Were they all bald for their whole life or are they just bald for like three months? Or for the photo op. Or for, the, but, but that photo op within a very small period of time within their life. Mm-hmm. So why, why is that what we're, it's like the shock value that's happening. Yes. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure why, because I'm not sure what the effect is. And this is my like strategic mind it's coming into play here. It's fear and pity. I'll tell you exactly. It's fear and pity to give guilt it's like a Sarah McLaughlin dying pets commercial. Oh my god, the worst! Literally, I, can't, I don't like. I don't even want to talk about I'm that. I'm serious. Like that is the metaphor I've been using. That and and your sentiments are in direct alignment with younger women with breast cancer, because yes, breast cancer is 94 percent of the time over the age of 65, and women under 45 are always the ones being trotted out as the token bald breast cancer people to raise money for breast cancer. So pink is kind of a big middle finger to younger women who don't get the attention they deserve because cancer in younger women has different needs and different support mechanisms and even different medicines sometimes. Well, so you know that I'm in a master's program, a law a law school master's. Because you're an underachiever. Right. But I'm also like not a lawyer, but I'm your favorite fake lawyer. So <laughs> I can I can argue both sides of anything. Yes. So I can understand the value in having one color that represents a group because people need community. Yes. I get that. For me, I never wear pink. I live in New York. I'm wearing black now. You know, it's like... <laughs> Very appropriate. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, for me, I didn't want to ring a bell. When I finished treatment, I took a bunch of friends and we went to sushi. Right. Because you can't have sushi while you're on chemo, by the right. way. So that was devastating. That I could. <laughs> so oh, it's like, the you know. Trials and tribulations. <laughs> trading, trading pink ribbons and, you know, the bells for sushi and black. And, and that's just me. And that's what made me feel comfortable because for me, I was having this foundational break happen. And so I wanted to maintain as much as of my normal life and, and my normalcy as possible. And for me, that's my norm. It's not, I'm not going to all of a sudden wear pink. However, I will say, because I can argue both sides, I know people who that really supported them and they felt empowered and they're, they felt happy to, you know, rock a stage with, with their head shaved. You know, and so it's not for me to in any way pass judgment or anything. I think do it however it works for you because this shit is hard. So just do whatever works for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have very strong opinions. As you know, and as my listeners know, I've been uh, ranting about stuff. What, for, you do? Yeah, who do? Oh. Hi, I'm Matt. Have we met? Exactly. <laughs> Wait, did, did does the audience know when you said you were Kramer before? <laughs> I no, I'm definitely George Costanza. I'm a def, I'm not yeah. as derpy as him, but yes, I'm I feel that, you know, I don't like the idea of exploitation and tokenism. Right. In general, in, in any socioeconomic or anthropologic or commercial consumer, whatever. I don't like tokenism. I also remember when Livestrong came out, everything was yellow. But they were egalitarian and tumor agnostic. They didn't care what you had. It was all about living strong. And Which it was is a, great. It was a phenomenal brand experience for people to feel like we we're all in this together. It served a great purpose. And pink has always been stigmatized because you either love it or you hate it. And either way, they're leaning into it even more because it raises money. 
And then every time a company decides that this airplane is becoming pink or this M&M is becoming pink or this blender is becoming pink, they're duping the world into believing that by buying a pink blender, it actually helps a person. Well, and Which goes, goes back to in- your argument over awareness versus action. Well, well, well. So if they're doing brand partnerships and a portion of the proceeds go to a foundation that does, you know, you know much more about that than I do, but it is indirectly supporting people. And so if people want to support in honor of someone they love or anything like that, I'm fine with that. I think for me, while I didn't want to wear pink, it's less about that it is pink. Although now I see even your water bottle. I'm like, oh, a breast cancer water bottle. <laughs> but it's really not. It just happens to be like a maroonish, magenta-ish, <laughs> That's not fuchsia-ish maroon. thing. I don't know. I'm colorblind too, so it was handed to me. You just listed three colors that are completely different. That's why I colorblind. I, is that really pink? I have no idea. So. It's, it's pink. Yes. Guilty as charged. It is pink. Oh, dear. Um, but my point being, I think the thing that was interesting, and even while I was going through this, I thought about this. Foundation, organization. I'm your target demo before I'm diagnosed, right? Like, give us money. You know, you're a certain age within a certain range. I'm probably their target demo to an extent. Then I get breast cancer. I'm definitely not the target demo, or nope. maybe I am, but at no point. And then now I don't have it. I'm on the other side. And I still, so it's like at no point was I feeling connected to this campaign. So maybe it's just me. <laughs> or it's this, yeah, this sensationalism shock value. I will just reaffirm that you're not alone being a young adult with breast cancer. This is more common as a sentiment than you think about not realizing you are the outlier until you're the outlier. You're an outlier statistically as only one of 6% of breast cancer under 45, but you're also an outlier because of the marketing never actually does anything to help young women with breast cancer. And my final rant about this, though, on cause marketing, the industry writ large, the, the patient advocate community writ large, took on the shaming of companies that turned products pink and didn't explicitly say where their dollars were going. Because the language was made very nebulous intentionally, where a portion of the proceeds support breast cancer research. What portion? Because zero is a portion, right? Hmm. And breast cancer research are just three words that mean nothing. So the scrutiny over what caused marketing in pink took advantage of for consumer goodwill, there's a lot less of that now because they were all just blatantly ripping off consumers and keeping 99% of the proceeds gets into our bank account and 1%, which is still a portion, (laughs) goes to this group and they don't need $10,000. They need $20 million. So that's been a high horse I've been on for a while now with largely mostly young adult cancer groups, metastatic cancer groups, LGBT cancer groups in breast cancer. So I love that we can banter about this because I see like your brain is on fire learning that this is the truth. And I'm, I'm heartened, not disheartened, heartened that you did have, uh, I would say almost an expected reaction to being in the pink bubble and not necessarily identifying with it. Yeah. But, but to say that, you know, there are people who are connected to it. So what? I'm so, not taking that away from anyone. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> You're not saying. You're just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But um, what I wish Breast Cancer Awareness Month 
or any awareness was about was actually like, hey, guys, actually, this thing that we put in your face nonstop that you're you totally are aware that it exists. We're actually going to tell you about it. And hey, maybe that thing that you think is so uncommon might happen to you and likely will happen to someone you know. Why don't we teach you about how to prevent it or did the just education? Because, you know, I don't I don't remember exactly what the percentage or statistic you said under 40. Yeah. Young adult cancer is 6% of all cancers, but breast cancer under 40 is about 4% of all breast cancers. Well, I'll tell you this. I didn't know anyone my age before I was diagnosed and it seems like it is very common. And I know. Because a friend connected me with a friend and then another friend and then now my other friend's girlfriend. And it's just kind of like, what's happening? And we're well under 40, 33, 34, 35. I mean, this is like five years out from when the suggested mammograms are. We call that the, the cancer magnet. It's like when you buy a Volvo and then you only see Volvos on the highway. Actually, that's not called that, but... <laughs> no, that's what we call it. You, you just become a magnet for people to, to come to you. It actually has a name. I can't remember what it is. Well, in, in Volvo <laughs> land, it has a name in advertising, but in cancer land, you join a club and then people just find you somehow in the perfect sense. And yeah, you're in New York. And again, I would see that as progress because 20 years ago, there was no way to find anybody. Well, I think it's, I think it's because people are having more open conversations. It's less stigmatized. Hell yes. Because I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's like people are willing to support a friend of mine was like, Hey, like my other friend was just diagnosed someone who lives in LA. So other side of the country. And then we connected and we started, you know, a little group of four of us who were all diagnosed around the same time. The girl I was connected to knew all of us. And, um, You know, it was just really interesting that we were all diagnosed around the same time. And, you know, it's we've all had very different journeys. And actually, we found out last week that one of the girls actually had passed away, which is really sad. But, you know, very sad reality. Every one I've been connected with, every situation has been different. Every treatment plan, every is somehow it's nuanced, like and, and tailored specifically to you. Like everything has well, been it, different it really to different should people. should be. This also is progress because 20 years ago, which is really important to remember that things happened 20 years ago in cancer and it really was a one size fits all no matter what you had. Very hard to distinguish the individuality against the biology. And today, yes, there are very different platforms and ecosystems and communities and guidelines that govern the way that cancer, they call it, you know, consumer journey mapping, right? You know that term probably. Yeah. So they're now talking about patient journey mapping. That's their own new jargon now. But it really does start to conflate quality of life with quality of care and treatment. And that is a wonderful dogma to kind of own as a byproduct of advocacy for 30 years. So it's good to hear you see that and hear that and be that. Because again, I want to make sure people know we've come pretty damn far in 30 years and the ebb tide of where we need to go is now being revealed. Mm -hmm. So one more question. Sure. You wrote in this incredible article that we'll link to Maybe this is a a hint on mortality or self-realization or self-awareness. Oh, boy. 
What did I say? Well, you said <laughs> you said everything is temporary, which is you know quite philosophical. And then what happens then? I don't know. I don't know what happens. I haven't gotten to that point yet. What did you mean? <laughs> is that was and that me just then? <laughs> that was I'm quoting you, but with the inflections like oh, that. <laughs> I have to make it dramatic. I wouldn't be me if I didn't make it theatrical. Well, what happens next? What? happens next dun, week dun, next dun. week <laughs> yeah. stay tuned true believers i mean i did work at a soap opera so there is yeah, an element you, of drama you have a phenomenal backstory <laughs> that we haven't even dug into right now um i think just for context for the listeners um that quote was in uh, an article that i or an interview rather that i had had with a journalist so just for context because we didn't Who mention that context? we didn't mention that part but Here's what I thought, because I, I do actually remember saying that. I think that everything is temporary, you know, and that at that point, so that interview was... You were in the thick of it. No, I wasn't in the thick of were it. Were you out of it already? And no, I wasn't out of it. Were you in it? <laughs> I, was, I was in it, but I was at like the beginning <laughs> part of it. I was, it was probably either end of September, very early October, I think it was September, because the whole point was this was going to be slated for our favorite month, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So I was pretty early on. I had probably at that point, I was like maybe less than two months in. I don't know. I had done a couple rounds of chemo. I had already done fertility preservation. I wasn't in the thick of it, but I was like almost halfway through. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot was still unknown. Like I didn't know what was happened when I moved from the AC chemo to the T chemo. Like, am I going to react different? I'm feeling good now. I feel great. I feel energized, like feeling pretty good. Maybe I won't have that reaction with the next one. I don't know what it's like when I have the surgery in January. I don't know. Will all of this be effective? I, I don't, there was so much unknown that, you know, I think it was just me being really honest that like, I know this moment and I don't know the future. And so I'm just going to live in this moment. I feel if you close out with the song Only For Now from Avenue Q. Oh, boy. That's a total throwback. (laughs) Where you'll find the little clip to play Only For Now, Only For Now. That's really how you judge mortality. (laughs) One of the best shows ever. To Avenue Q, Rebecca Batterman. Oh, man. Come back. Revival, please. I'm telling you. 2022. We're going to do more of these. I like I like this this unscripted banter conversation. I'd love to have you back to talk about the word prevention. Oh, are we done? We are done. Talking to you is a breeze. It was great. So if you're listening, if you're still <laughs> listening to this episode, please <laughs> let me know if you like this type of show in addition to the other shows that I've done because they have to be real. They have to be unfiltered. They have to be unscripted. And I believe this is what people want to hear from my program. So Rebecca Batterman, thank you so much. Thank we'll you. see you back here next time. Sounds good. See you soon. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. 
Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.